Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Leonard has been tested again for COVID. He got COVID on January 28th and was put into a dirty isolation unit for 10 days without any kind of medical supervision. And we're at the point right now where we do not know 100% what the fallout or unpredictable conditions or symptoms he's going to start getting within his body because of the comorbidities. Today on American Indian Airwaves, an update on international indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier. We'll hear from the co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee with an update on his medical condition and the international call after 46 years of wrongful incarceration for his immediate release. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Actions in cities throughout the United States took place on February 7th of 2022, calling for the immediate release of international indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier. February 7th of 2022 marks the 46th year of Peltier's incarceration, and on June 28th of this year, he tested positive for the coronavirus at the United States Penitentiary in Coleman, Florida. Leonard Peltier is from the Anishinaabe Lakota Nations and was unjustly convicted in the deaths of two FBI agents in a June 26, 1975 shootout in Oglala, South Dakota between members of the American Indian Movement defending the Oglala community and the FBI. Peltier's two co-defendants were acquitted by reason of self-defense, and Peltier, who was later extradited from Canada under questionable circumstances, was tried separately. Peltier's trial was replete with prosecutorial misconduct, falsified testimony, fabricated evidence, and even the autopsy presented to the jury was done by an examiner who had never seen the bodies of the two agents. The former U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Iowa, James Reynolds, who supervised the post-trial sentencing and appeals, admitted they shaved a few corners and, quote-unquote, we could not prove Leonard Peltier personally committed any crime on the Pine Ridge Reservation in his letter to U.S. President Joe Biden, which also calls for Peltier's immediate release. Today, Peltier is a 77-year-old inmate 
with a host of comorbidities that should, according to the CDC guidelines, have prioritized him for a COVID booster shot. CDC guidelines call for booster shots at seven months, yet 11 months after Peltier received his COVID-19 vaccine, he has not received a booster shot. Visitors to the United States prison Coleman One facility have noted that the facility is not mandating vaccines for its guards or staffs. Guards and staffs were seen both without mask and improperly wearing masks. Social distancing was neither encouraged nor enforced and booster shots had not until recently been available to any inmate at the USP Coleman One facility. Both the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee and mutual aid organizations offered to donate N95 masks for every inmate at Coleman were denied. The United States Department of Justice, through the Attorney General, issued guidelines for COVID release to home confinement for inmates who were elderly and or had compromised immune systems or comorbidities on March 26 and April 3rd in 2020. Leonard Peltier at 77 of age with a host of core morbidities, including diabetes, hypertension, heart condition, and an erratic aneurysm, undeniably meets these conditions. Furthermore, his home community on the Turtle Mountain Nation in North Dakota continues to request his return to his home community. Today on American Indian Airwaves in this two-part interview, executive producer and co-host Marcus Lopez and myself speak with Carol Golke and Jean Roach, co-directors from the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, who along with friends, family, human rights organizations, and allies are calling for Peltier's immediate release. Both of our guests has and continue to maintain contact with Leonard Peltier, and we start part one of this two-part interview with Gene Roach, providing listeners with a brief historical update leading to the wrongful incarceration of international political prisoner Leonard Peltier. My name is Gene Roach, and I'm from the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in South Dakota. I live in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is also known as the Deep North, okay? So we're talking about an era when we're still calling it the Deep North in the 70s when the American Indian Movement first became a movement. And I mean movement because it's not like an organized thing. It's more of a spiritual movement, bringing back our spirituality to, uh, from being banned by the United States government and their laws. So that's what the movement's about. And um, if you're real, real familiar with our history, we were attacked way back in, you know, when Custer came. That was a Sundance camp. So this continued colonization has started since day one. And I view this attack on Leonard Peltier as a continued genocidal process that still continues today. And connecting all those dots together, you know, you have, you know, like, my story begins with my great-great-grandparents who were uh, killed at the Battle of Greasy Grass, which is known as Little Bighorn. So Peltier, um, when we say, uh, if you see some of our older publications in the spirit of Crazy Horse, people have to understand the war that we're fighting is against, you know, corporate greed 
And when you have a program that's specifically designed by the FBI called COINTELPRO to agitate and discredit uh, movements, then you'll understand how uh, Leonard became a target of COINTELPRO through the American Indian Movement. So the same thing happened. You always face back because this didn't just start, you know, this attack on our people. It's been going on for a long time. We've had political prisoners since crazy for sitting bull. You know, so we need to uh, understand that, you know, some people try to call it, I mean, I don't know what they call it, but they're scared because of the FBI involvement. But we've been, we've had the Calvary. They just changed their name, you know. And we have corporations like Tiger Swan that attack the people in Standing Rock. Let's connect them all. The protectors at Standing Rock are also political prisoners, just like Paltier, based on the fact that, you know, they were attacked for their beliefs. You know, we were attacked. We were there, too, also to, uh, representing Leonard in Standing Rock. So uh, during the era when the, um, of when um, the June 26, 1975 firefight happened in Oglala, the tensions on the reservation were what we termed the, you know, the reign of terror, which actually probably, you know, goes way back too. But during that time, so many people were killed because they either associated with the American Indian Movement or they were aimed. And all these deaths have never been um, investigated. They started real heavily during Wounded Knee and after, you know, the second siege, 1973. And that's kind of when um, uh, AIM became strong on the uh, reservation. There was so much um, wrongdoing to our people. And I remember exactly when they came is when Yellow Thunder was um, killed in the border town of Rushville. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's when AIM was called in. And that wasn't by, you know, the IRA government. It was by the elders. And they basically asked for American Indian Movement. They were hearing all these stories of the things they were doing in Minneapolis, you know, protecting the people up there. So they asked them to come down, and they told them, you know, that they needed help because, you know, there was so much injustice. I mean, it's too big to even name all the stuff that's been going on, and some still continues, especially within our justice system where, uh, or injustice system of the United States government. So uh, when that shootout happened, that's the, the era of the time or the, uh, what would you call it, the climate. Everybody lived by the gun, and you couldn't turn around, so... When the FBI came into the Grandma Jumping Bulls, where they lived at, they had like about four or five houses there, and they wanted support mm-hmm. because the town, I mean, the community of Oglala wanted to pull itself away from the centralized location of Pine Ridge, where the goon squads that were attacking the people came out of. They were created during Wounded Knee under Dick Wilson, who was tribal chairman at that time. So you have a war against the people that want to be Lakota against someone that considered himself a progressive who also had backing the United States government, which meant arming them with uh, weapons and they had like APCs, they had everything at Wounded Knee. So that's where this shootout happened when uh, unmarked cars came into the grandma and grandpa's land. But that, like, you couldn't even really walk. I mean, people were being killed. There were 60 unsolved deaths during that time. So basically, when the grandma and grandpa jumping boat asked people to come there, was protection because if you had a sweat lodge and you had a ceremony you were a target if you had long hair you were a target if you associated with somebody that was known aim you were a target so that's what it was about right then 
So the co-defendants of Leonard Pelcher, there's only three people, I mean, four people charged. One, Jimmy Eagle was never there. The other two, Bob Robidoux and Dito Butler, were acquitted on the basis of self-defense, okay? And so there was one left that was still charged, not Leonard Peltier, and he was in Canada. And right away, well, exactly when the time of the shootout, the misconduct of the FBI is one of the, is the main reasons, you know, that they were uh, acquitted. Uh, Dino Butler and Bob Robidoux <clears throat> because they were just doing, you know, making up their own rules. And they still do that. They still have cases of FBI misconduct. But basically, Leonard's been in there all this time and every avenue that we have, that we have their documented papers work. The very first document, one of the first documents, can't see the very first uh, documentation we have is the three affidavits from Myrtle Poor Bear, which they used in international court. They went to Canada and lied to them told them they had an mm-hmm. eyewitness to Leonard Peltier shooting these FBI agents. Okay, poor Myrtle. She didn't even know him. And Leonard, he didn't even know her. And they have this woman. They took her after Davis up there and proved to the Canadian government with their falsified documents that he was the person that needed to be extradited. And that was one of the <clears throat> reasons why they were extradited because of an eyewitness report. So, you know, we have all this documentation. They changed the theory, you know. Now he's in there for aiding and abetting, and nobody's ever been convicted of killing FBI agents. There's never been any evidence. And when they first did it to Leonard, his whole um, self-defense theory was thrown out by the judge. And we call him Bouncing Benson. And he is known up there in North Dakota to put natives away on a different reservation to the federal judge. And one of the jurors was prejudiced and admitted it, and they didn't do nothing about it. I mean, there's so many wrongs in this case, I can't even continue to tell you, okay? So um, most of us, I was there, me and my little brother survivors. Mm. I was 14, my brother was 11, maybe 10. And the rest of them were all teenagers. That was us, that we escaped from the feds and the BIA. And, the, you know, there's all kinds of cops there, like, within minutes. It's really outrageous, like it was a plan, you know, because you can't get anybody. From here to Rapid City, it takes at least an hour to uh, Oglala. So they were there way before that. But anyway... So um, they were embarrassing. That was one of the largest manhunts that they had in the United States during the 70s, all the way up till the recent Unabomber, or that bomber, not Unabomber, but the one they had that massive manhunt for. And to find out that most of us were teenagers, you know. But right away, they started labeling us, you know, the same kind of labels they used to COINTELPRO, militant, armed guerrillas. When I heard that, I'm looking at my friend, I'm like, who are they talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know who they are. That's not us. We're just the people barely surviving with our single shot twenty twos or whatever. You know what I mean? Nothing to their power of their guns. You know we could never withstand them. So you know they just manipulated the media. They manipulated the people, and they've even manipulated people against Leonard Peltier. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Carol Goki and Jean Roach co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. They're providing us a medical update on international political indigenous prisoner Leonard Peltier and the call for action for his immediate release. And now back to the interview. Using all kinds of, you know, uh, Pro attacks. They used, um, oh, well, first of all, you know, labeling us all militants and using words like uh, riddled with bullets, you know, speaking about the agent's bodies. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell, you know? And they always ask me, 
Well, since those two, uh, Bob Rabadou and Dino Butler were acquitted, who shot the agents? You know what my answer is? Whoever shot the agents would still have the same evidence and the same, um, what would they call that, the same uh, story that uh, Bob and Dino were acquitted of. We acted on the basis of self-defense. But no, that wasn't true for Leonard Peltier. They made sure that he became the scapegoat because they wanted someone to pay for those FBI agents' deaths, not even mentioning Joe Stunts, who was also killed that day, mm. or the 60 women or men that were killed during Wounded Knee and in, in the Reign of Terror. None of them ever been investigated to this day. And we're going to find out probably a lot more stuff of who done that. that. There's a reason it was never investigated. So that's about, you know, where we're at with Leonard. There's a lot more. I don't know if you have a specific question, but that's my background. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Jenny. Thank you for that summary. It's a really important summary about the conditions then and how they're connected, like you said, connecting the dots to today. Now, we want to get into the definitely Leonard Peltier was unjustly convicted. You talked about falsified testimony, fabricated evidence, changing of the judge so they they can figure out how they're going to put somebody behind bars at the same time never coming to the question of that reign of terror. Today, because of the fact that Peltier is a 77-year-old inmate with a host of health problems, but um, why don't you talk about that for a second? About uh, Or, Carol, what about Peltier's house? How is he doing? Okay. Um, hi, this is Carol Gokey. I'm also co-director for the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. And Leonard has been um, tested again for COVID. He got COVID on January 28th and was put into a dirty isolation unit for 10 days without any kind of medical supervision. And after the 10 days, he was tested again. He tested negative. He says he's feeling better, but we're at the point right now where we do not know 100% what the, the fallout or unpredictable conditions or symptoms he's going to start getting within his body because of the comorbidities. He has aortic aneurysm that we have found clinical reports right now. They've got a lot on this one because aortic aneurysms are affected by COVID. They also they, they increase the chance of that rupture. Same with heart condition and same with diabetes. Right now he's feeling okay, but that doesn't mean that he is out of the woods. He needs, it is absolutely necessary and imperative that he gets post-COVID treatment immediately. That's what every medical digest we have read, every, everything that we've read says he needs it immediately because the effects of COVID can be lifetime and they can also kill him. And that's where we're at right now is his health is very important. Now, why don't you talk about, Carol, about the COVID release to home confinement? That was a United States Department of Justice through the Attorney General issued some guidelines. What are those guidelines and is the prison following that? Well, Leonard does fall under the guidelines for the, well, let's go backwards. Compassionate release was established by Congress to help reduce prison population. Um, what they did, though, in error, was give the wardens the ultimate call. They gave the wardens permission to play God. 
And so compassionate releases can be signed or sent in from inmates to the warden. And then the warden looks at it and says, no. Right now to date, well, actually, the last report we have was last fall, I believe. And out of 36,000 compassionate release requests, only 36 had been approved. Okay? So it's less than 1% or about 1%, which is very low. Now, Leonard didn't even fall into that compassionate release because um, that, the First Step Act because he's an old law prisoner. And what that means is that he was incarcerated before 1987. And if I'm understanding their logic correctly, it's because he's eligible for parole. So they took the compassionate release option away from anybody before 1987. Now, COVID comes along, and now Bill Barr puts a memo out that says all prisoners can be um, included in the COVID release to home confinement. And even though he's eligible, they're not, they're not giving any. And we don't want home confinement. We want him to be released. We have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt with the FOIA documents, and now the release from James Reynolds, the U.S. former attorney who supervised the case, admitting to misconduct, admitting to theorizing, and admitting to railroading this man. So we're way past the constitutional violations. We've got confirmation from the U.S. government on what they did to him. Now it's a matter of Joe Biden picking up that pen and signing it because this is the right thing to do. It's not, we're not asking for commutation for a man that's been convicted of a violent crime that committed that crime. He did not commit any crime. No crime of self-defense is worth two life sentences. And so we can spin around COVID release all day long, but the warden right now is the only one that can sign off. And Leonard has three in there. The first one was denied. The second one, we didn't hear a thing. And the third one, still nothing. So we do have, I would like to mention, there's a bill in Senate right now called the SB312, in which Dick Durbin and Chuck Grassley and others, it's a, very, it's a part, bipartisan bill. It's got actually more Republicans than Democrats on this bill. And this bill amends the act of Congress to include the old law prisoners and to also give them, after 30 days or a denial from the warden, gives them the opportunity to go in front of a judge. And that's what we want. That's what we want. If we can get to that point, that's what's going to happen. But until then, we have the commutation and the clemency request. It's the same thing, commutation and clemency. And that's what we're asking supporters to do is to help us support that by way of sending letters, um, emails, phone calls to the comment line, asking their own state representatives um, to join this, um, this, this fight with us. You know, this is a good fight because it's for truth, it's for justice, and it's for, like Jean said, it's for a lot of pain that they've been going through for many, 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 many years. Leonard's case is no different. And so that's where we're at with the home confinement release. We want him commuted home. We do not want him on home. He deserves his freedom back. We've proven the man should never have been incarcerated. He needs to come home immediately. Why don't, um, uh, Jeannie, why don't you talk about Turtle Mountain Reservation, their role in it, and there he has a home to go to. Talk about that for our listeners. I think Carol knows more about that. Okay, I'll do that, yes. That is one stipulation to the home confinement. And, and also it's a good 
thing to add anytime you release any prisoner is are they going to be accepted into society? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be welcome? Or is it going to be a complication? In this case, not at all. We actually um, had a gathering in November in Rapid City, and afterwards I drove up to Turtle Mountain. I've been there before. I know the family well. And distributed a um, letter for signatures asking that. Do you want Leonard here? And we have unbelievable amounts of signatures that came in on that. It just got sent in um, just recently now. And also a letter coming from the tribe saying he is more than welcome here. He has got land up here. We will help with housing. The community wants him here. And so that's, that's where we're at with Turtle Mountain. He's, he's very welcome there. And that concludes part one of a two-part interview with an update on international political prisoner Leonard Peltier's medical condition and a call to action after his wrongful incarceration in serving 46 years in prison. We're speaking with the co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, Carol Goki and Jean Roach. We'll hear part two of the interview in the second half of today's show, and our guests will provide information on what listeners can do in demanding the immediate release of international indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier. So I just want to remind listeners that uh, KPFK is uh, presently in its fun drive and it is listeners like you that help keep the station going. And we want to encourage KPFK listeners out there and the internet podcast world throughout Southern California, wherever it is that you may be, that if you appreciate the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves and uplifting indigenous voices, marginalized voices, and bringing to you content that you can't get out there in the mass media landscape to please support uh, American Indian Airwaves in Pacifica's KPFK. And there are several ways to do that. You can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the pledge icon and select a premium item of interest, or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly dollar denominations of your choice, or you can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK to make your pledge there. Marcus? Larry, I think it's so important that we speak to our listeners about this is, if you support the American Indian Airways, then donate to KPFK, give those uh, items a premium to look at. If you not only appreciate, but understand that the American Indian Airways is the only radio program that reflect indigenous struggles here in Southern California, and that we have much work to do. By your pledge, it helps us, as well as KPFK, the station, in order to operate and to counteract the corporate media and the people that are behind it and the organizations and the financial structures behind it in order to bring truth to light, bring that what you hear in American Indian Airways. And we constantly do that about give voices to the front lines and indigenous struggle hemispherically. So that's what American Indian Airways, and that's where your pledge helps us to bring the frontline fighters to the forefront, like our recent series, A Sacred Stage, talks about the playwrights. And within that, we have lots of other series that we've done regarding COVID 
as well as what are Native people doing today that's so crucial that your commercial radio programs don't even do. So we reach out our hand, reaching out our relatives out there, and also all the non-Native people out there reach out and saying that help us, help us keep the program, keep KPFK alive, and all of us doing that will benefit from get a better idea where we have to go as, as not only as indigenous peoples, but also with the rest of our allies out there in the world. And we want to remind listeners, you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the pledge widget. You can become a monthly Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to make monthly donations in a dollar denomination of your choice. Or you can pick from over a couple dozen different premium items that, that may be of interest and each premium item is a different dollar amount. But again, we want to encourage listeners, visit the kpfk.org website or call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Support American Indian Airwaves, support KPFK, and help us continue to provide this invaluable, immeasurable public service to all of you, the listeners. You know, we have a million stories to tell. I'm just one of a million or more stories that can be told. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, the song Sacrifice by Robbie Robertson. Sacrifice your prayer. Take away your language. Cut off all your hair. Sacrifice the loved ones who always stood by me. Stranded in the wasteland. Send my spirit.
The song Sacrifice by Robbie Robertson off the album The Underworld of Red Boy here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second segment of today's program, we continue our interview with the co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, Carol Gokey and Jean Roach. They're providing us a medical update on the conditions of international political prisoner Leonard Peltier, an update on the COVID-19 pandemic within the prison, and the call to action demanding for his immediate release, and what listeners like you can do. And now, back to the interview with Marcus Lopez and myself, interviewing Carol Gokey and Jean Roach, co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. One of the things you said um, the demands is if you call upon the warden at USP Coleman 1 and the Bureau of Prisons to immediately release 
Peltier to home confinement. How can people do that? So what, what is your instructions, if you will, to the, our listeners? Well, definitely you can write to the Bureau of Prisons all day. You can write to <laughs> Grand Prairie um, the, or the Washington Bureau of Prisons office. You can do that all day long. And you're not going to probably get anywhere because they're adamant. They apparently are not going to do anything about this. It's, it, to me, is futile, and to our strategists, it's futile. Um, we see that Joe Biden has more strength and definitely more capability, and he's certainly, you know, I, I want to hope that a better man of character than what we're seeing in these wardens. There's a lot of misconduct in the Bureau of Prisons right now. They are not able to keep up with policy with the COVID pandemic. In fact, Leonard, when he called me on the morning of the 28th to tell me he has symptoms, he was sick. He was very sick. He, I contacted his unit manager within minutes. They were down there to order a COVID test. But they did not put him into isolation. They allowed him into the general population the entire day. He was not taken and put into isolation until 7 p.m. that night. So we're talking at least 10 hours in the general public. So it's very obvious they don't care. It seems like they're using COVID as a weapon, you know? And so we can write to them all day, but we're not going to get anywhere. That's our opinion on that one. Um, the only, the main option and the biggest, the, the strongest we have right now is that clemency request. I, I wanted to ask about uh, the prison conditions where Leonard is um, being held at, because we, we hear, especially uh, during COVID-19, so many different stories about how uh, systemic COVID-19 rates are, how, you, you know, prisoners um, are not vaccinated or have maybe limited vaccination, and that these are really high-risk areas. And, and that doesn't even include talking about environmental conditions, whether they be prisons um, in unusually hot or cold climates that are the result of or, yeah. of you know, like the climate crisis that you know, Americans refer to it as. And so I was wondering if you can maybe talk about, when you're talking about Leonard's health, talk about the environmental conditions in, in which Leonard lives in on a day-to-day basis. And how does that, does that uh, worsen his health and elevate the, the need to get him out as soon as possible? Oh, it absolutely does. Um, we fight on a regular basis to get medical reports from the Bureau of Prisons, Mm -hmm. because when COVID started, they decided to make it a Freedom of Information Act request for us to get medical reports. Mm -hmm. So first of all, when Leonard was, when he tested positive, we weren't called. I was actually able to get uh, another woman who speaks with another inmate a message from Leonard to tell me that he did test positive, Mm -hmm. and they were putting him into an isolation unit. Now, let's go back a little bit, because We have, again, we have a pandemic we've been dealing with for two years. There shouldn't be any problems with what to do, keeping your mask on, keeping the area clean, um, keeping people six feet apart. And we're not seeing that down there. We've been down to visit many times since COVID started. We've got guards that don't wear masks. We've got some that wear the mask on their chin. There's, we don't see, except for them washing, asking us to wash our hands for visitation, they're not washing their hands. Um, we're also seeing 
Uh, and because of the, the lack of medical reports, we had to have Leonard start doing daily logs because he's also diabetic. And we were worried about his diabetic, his sugar, and his numbers going up and down. So we need, without medical reports, we didn't have anything else except for him putting daily logs together, what he was eating, what kind of medication he's on, what his um, glucose numbers are. And with that, we found a lot of information. Uh, this is where the peanut butter and jelly sandwich comes in because mm. they like to give sandwiches to, well, they're saying they give two hot meals and a sandwich every day, okay? Many, many days, Leonard tells me, he says, we don't always get three, two hot meals. We might get one, and that hot meal is in the morning, and it's pancakes. Wow. They're giving diabetics pancakes, mm. okay? And then the peanut butter on bread is, when we say wet bread, it, the reason for that is because they're giving them frozen sandwiches. He has told me so many times that he says, I have to wait for two hours for my sandwich to thaw. He's only got a couple teeth left in his mouth. He has to, um, he can't chew something frozen. So by the time the bread thaws, it's soggy. Mm -hmm. And it's not palatable at all in any way, shape, or form. And um, they did admit that, yes, through COVID, we have given more peanut butter sandwiches out. But peanut butter itself is probably not sugar-free peanut butter, okay? And, and his diabetic condition right now, his numbers are all over the place. Wow. His A1C, they, they, they're taking responsibility for getting that down. But the bottom line on that, Leonard, when he sees his numbers go up with his, diabetes, um, his glucose readings, he stops eating. And we're trying so hard to get him to continue to eat. He tried to make him see that you still have to eat, Leonard. So he's lost about 30 pounds. Wow. And that's why his A1C went down. The weight loss is because he's not eating when his numbers are high. Wow. We're working really hard. Um, we're also seeing that they're replacing medication, um, taking one medication away from him that should be weaned off. Okay, in, in the real world out here, you would wean people off of these medical or these medications because of the side effects. Not in there. Mm -mm. They take, it, take him off of medication cold turkey and reintroduce a new medication to their liking. And instead of giving that to them in the small dose and then bringing the dosage up, they're giving him the full dose. So what it does with the last time they did this, it actually increased his um, agitation. It increased the um, irritability. And so that they're wanting him to get upset. They're wanting him to be pissed off. And that's why they're doing this. Because they can. Because they're playing God with them. And this doesn't even talk about the dirty water that comes out of their faucets. He cannot drink the water in his cell. He has to buy bottled water. They're only allowed so much um, commissary every week. I think he said $45. I'm not sure. But they're only allowed so much, so you can only buy so much water. And then if there's a lockdown the day before commissary, then guess what? You don't go to commissary and you don't get any water. Wow. Leonard has went without water for days at a time. And so if we get back to, there's, uh, there's mold in there too. You know, again, let's throw that one in there. It's a pretty old facility. And sure. the women's work camp also came down a couple of years ago, about 60 of them with, about, um, with Legionnaire's disease. 
which they received from the water system. And they never got to the source of where that Legionnaire's disease came from. I don't know if they flushed the system or what, but a couple of women died. And do you think they gave compassionate release to any of those? Not a one. Not a one. And so we continue uh, to log everything that we can. We continue to report to the prison uh, advocates that we have. But our main goal is to get him the hell out of there because they're actually adding to his, uh, his, his expectant life expectancy, life expectancy. There we go. I'm sorry. Right. So I hope that answered that. And we want to remind listeners, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Carol Gokey, who's co-director of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. She's providing us a medical update on international indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier, who as of February 7th of 2020, has wrongfully served 46 years in a federal penitentiary now in Coleman, Florida. She will provide us updated information on what people can do to demand the immediate release of international indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier in the remaining part of today's show. And we want to remind listeners here on American Indian Airwaves that KPFK is currently in fun drive mode and you appreciate the work we do and the work that KPFK does in bringing you diversified and marginalized voices that you support KPFK in a variety of ways by either becoming a KPFK Sustainer Circle member or selecting from a variety of thank you gifts found on the KPFK website. You can visit kpfk.org, click on the pledge widget, and choose to become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly donations in a dollar denomination of your choice or select from a variety of thank you gifts that you can find on the kpfk.org website. And now back to the interview with Carol Gokey, co-director of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Well, thank you, Carol. As people need to understand that, that what you said, it's a it's uh, the timeline that you put out since there is since the original Wounded Knee and the so-called Indian Wars, but the invasion that happened that is continuing to this very day. And they're making, they're having a, uh, they're terrorizing, in fact, Leonard Pelter, emotional, psychological, medically, health-wise, so on and so forth. They're trying to kill him, basically. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that I had was, Carol, was that, Carol, you said that you just talked to Leonard. What is Leonard's message to the public? Well, Leonard's message to the public right now is thank you for standing behind him and supporting him and, and all the love that, that we're showing. And, and, and this is an injustice that I don't know how anybody can turn a blind eye to. But his message is thank you, thank you. And, and he says, you know, he, he'll continue to live his life in the same way that he has over the last 46 years and the 31 years before that is a life of giving to others. Mm -hmm. Leonard is an accomplished artist, an accomplished author, and poet. He writes, he paints, and donates all of those to the committee so that we can sell them and either pay legal defenses or pay it forward into the community by way of children's gift programs, 
scholarships, food and clothing drives, and then awareness, of course. Mm. But this is what he does. He lives for others. He just wants to, he knows he's going to die soon, and he just wants to have his family by his side. And I want to mention, when you get COVID in prison, and Jean knows full well because her sister had COVID while she was in prison, that you don't get notified. The family doesn't get notified if you've got power of attorney or HIPAA. You do not get notified. You want to know he's got COVID? Fill out a freedom of information request. We'll let you know in about a year unless we call you earlier and tell you to come pick up the body. This is awful. This pandemic is awful for everybody, but it's, it's a death sentence for them. Guards are bringing him food without masks also, by the way. So this is what we need the public to see. Well, I, I didn't, uh, well, I didn't want to uh, take away in talking about L- Leonard and the prison conditions and, and uh, what Leonard's message is. But I, I wanted um, to ask you, Carol, you and Jean were very instrumental in organizing uh, actions that took place this past February 7th in different cities uh, throughout the United States. And I know um, there was an action there from um, Memorial Park the, uh, at the Bandshell at Memorial Park, and, and people went from there to uh, the Rapid City Federal Courthouse. And I was wondering if you maybe talk about these different actions and, and what the response has been. Well, the response, uh, let me reiterate or correct you on one thing. Gene oh. and I, Gene was very instrumental in putting together the North Car- uh, Rapid City, my bad, yeah. Rapid City Rally. But we have supporters and we have support groups all over the United States and yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And they're the ones that put on their own rallies. Gotcha. We just showed it out because it's a, it's a solidarity day that everybody tries to recognize. It's the anniversary of his incarceration. So we had over, oh my gosh, I think there was over 19 different rallies mm. on that day or that weekend, uh, one being at Coleman, um, and then, of course, Rapid City all over Tulsa, all over um, San Francisco, L.A., and even up the Salish Sea in Washington. Uh, at the same time, and even before and after, we had Germany and Italy has been busting out rallies constantly to bring attention to world leaders. And I believe that the, we had no choice. When we found out Leonard had COVID, and he got that COVID from staff, that's clear. He got that from the staff and from their lack of following through with procedure or precautions on human life. That's how that happened. So Gene and I jumped on an airplane by Saturday. We got news Friday night. By Saturday, we were down in Tampa doing a press conference and asking everybody to join our forces. And that's what happened. Within a week, everybody jumped up and did the same thing. And we got a lot of media. We've got CBS. um, New York Times will be putting something out shortly. The Foreign Press. And then we I just went over because Leonard wants me to send all of them to him. So I just started collecting them. And there's over 25 um, news articles regarding not just the rallies that we had, but also the congressional and legislative help that we have right now. Yes. We're up to 115 legislators. Um, and in, that's, in, that's not even including the 55 from the House of Representatives that Nancy Pelosi signed back in 93. Nice. 
Um, so uh, these actions are actually very necessary to bring about uh, continued support and education and allowing the American public to see what a lot of them don't know. A lot of the younger generation have no clue about Leonard. And um, we're not done. We've got more actions. We haven't gotten them solidified yet, but we got more to come. We're not done. He, we, we will not stop. We will not relent until he is released. We cannot sit back and allow them to kill him. We can't do it. Carol, why don't you talk about Build SB 312 and Biden? Those two are the, are the main points you brought up in this discussion. Why don't you talk about um, what people can do in order to continue the effort and the pressure of SB 312 or contacting Biden? Are those your, your, are your focal points at this point? They are. They are. Um, it's very important. I know that a lot of us think that when we call the White House and we'll uh, leave a comment on the comment line or send an email, we think that, yeah, nobody's going to get that. Nobody's going to do anything about that. But we're told differently. We're told that every phone call, every email, every letter that goes in there adds weight mm -hmm. to uh, these are the president's constituents. You know, the people of America have a right to voice their opinion. So what that does is that lets him know how people feel. That's very important. Now, getting back to this S312 bill, this bill is a bipartisan bill. I can name you. There's nine um, senators involved in it. Dick Durbin was the one that initiated this back in the Trump um, administration because it was identified that these wardens are not giving out compassionate relief. They're not doing it. So Congress is like, well, then we need to we need to amend that to give that uh, to give that uh, capability to um, a judge who is certainly more experienced and in a better position to grant a compassionate release after a complete review where a warden is not capable of that, not in any way. So the 312 bill, um, again, is an amendment, and they have passed part of that so that new law prisoners can actually bring their cases to a judge right now, but not old law prisoners. So the 312 bill adds the old law prisoners. And if anybody in any of the following states can reach out to their senators and ask them to push this bill onto the floor again, it's immediately necessary, not just for Leonard, but for all of the sick and elderly, especially the ones that are still left pre-1987. So we've got Dick Durbin from Illinois. We've got Christopher Coons from Delaware, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, Kevin Kramer, who is a Republican from North Dakota, Sheldon Whitehouse, who is a Democrat from Rhode Island, Cory Booker from New Jersey, Senator Tom Tillis is a Republican from North Carolina, and Roger Wicker is also a Republican from Mississippi. And then today I just got notification that Roy Blunt, Missouri, he's Missouri, He's another Republican. He signed on as an additional co-sponsor to this bill because this is what they need to take this out of completely out of the hands of the warden mm -hmm. and allow somebody with the right credentials to look and review these files to see if these gentlemen or women are eligible for this release. And, and that's what they, they deserve that. We, we've seen many reports that anybody, recidivism, 
or, or reoccurring crimes after the age of 65 are nil to uh, none. To, uh, there's very few. After the age of 65, whether you're guilty or innocent, Leonard's innocent, but the reoccurrence for recidivism is greatly lowered. And we are still just asking everybody to either contact the White House or contact your state representatives. If you're in any of the states that I mentioned, lean in on your senators. Ask them to push this bill, not just for Leonard, but for all of them. It's imperative. Finally, how can people contact the International Leonard Culture Defense Committee? We have the ILPDC, which is the acronym for that, has a website they can go to. At the bottom has contact information, our email, my phone number, and they can call and we can give direction um, if they need to. We are going to have a social action published probably before this weekend so that supporters will know via social media what they can do. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests, Gene Roach and Carol Gokey, co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon star, Koopa Aina, Robbie Robertson, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host, Larry Smith. Until next time. Their heads. They sleep caged against their fear. They try not to become what they've endured. Wearing their souls on the thread. The moment of silence is over. And for the innocent, you can't justify. While your freedom manifests on their graves And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Silence is over.